Charlie um, and Patsy to uh, hang out with their kids for this weekend, and he had, he's always a little hesitant about that, but the elders, we have said, you need to go. Um, so we, uh, we, if you're wondering, where's Charlie? It's because we told him to leave, because uh, <laughs> he needs that. Um, and he, with all his responsibilities with his hill and everything, he doesn't always get to, to do as much of that. So we're, we uh, encourage that as much as we can. Um, and so this morning, we get to hear from Noah Parsons, who, um, if you're not familiar, sometimes they end up sitting over in that room because they've got three little kids running around. Um, but Noah came to us, or uh, came to Charlie, I think a few months ago, and said, you know, the Lord was laying it on his heart that he would like to have more opportunities to teach. And so um, two or three months ago, he came and met with the elders um, while we were having one of our meetings, and we just were able to talk to him. And um, he taught adult Sunday school month or two ago, and so we're excited to hear from him this morning, and uh, so welcome. <laughs> Good morning. Please open your word to First Peter chapter 1. I do appreciate the opportunity to come and to, to speak. Um, it's not something that I feel like I'm necessarily gifted in, but as our message is about today, you know, the Lord desires to use all of us if we would just yield to Him. Let's just open up in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you desire to use us for your glory. We thank you for the joy that you give us when we are used by you. Lord, not that you need to use us, but you desire to use us. You choose to use us. You could use the very rocks to cry out your glory, but you choose to use men and women for your glory to, to testify of your love for sinners. We just thank you for that. We pray that you give me the words to, to speak and give people ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Reading out of 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an obtain inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation 
of your souls. And we see from this passage of Scripture that it's because of Jesus Christ who, because of His mercy, has, has caused us who believe in Him to be born again. We have a living hope. It's a new type of life in Jesus Christ. It's not, you know, the old has passed away. We live in the new. And we live looking toward a heavenly city. A city where we'll never fade away the inheritance that we have. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It can't fade away. Uh, The Bible tells us, set not our minds on things of this earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but set your mind on things above that never fade away. And so we get from this passage that it's through faith that we're able to see the value of these things. It's not through our own eyes. It's not through our own senses. It's through the senses that God gives us through His Spirit, through the eyes of faith. And it even tells us, it, it even uh, hints that we might encounter various trials. And why do we encounter trials? Well, James would tell us that we should rejoice, consider it all joy when we encounter various trials so that the proof of our faith will result in the, the glory of God. And we can rejoice in those things. We know that it produces endurance. And God allows trials in the believer's life to build up the believer. It's not to tear us down. It's rather to build up our faith. And we see that all through the Old Testament. You see that in Genesis through the patriarchs of faith. That God would you know, raise the stakes so that they would trust Him. And He always proves faithful in trials. We're redeemed, you know, not of perishable things, but precious blood. And in this passage, we see the working of the Spirit and faith. You know, our relationship with God is a cooperation with Him. It, it takes two people in any relationship. And He wants us, by faith, to yield to the Spirit of God. But He will never force us to do that. It has to be us laying ourselves on the altar in faith, as living sacrifices. The last time I spoke, I spoke about Abraham and Isaac and how Abraham laid Isaac on the altar. He believed that God could even raise Isaac from the dead, even though it had never happened before because of his faith. And yet he received Isaac back. Isaac didn't die that day. There was a ram caught by his thorns. That was the substitution for Isaac. It speaks of the Lord Jesus. And yet... Isaac was, as it were, a living sacrifice. And that's what Romans 12 tells us to be. That's our spiritual service of worship. That is what the logical thing that we should do, we who have been bought with a price, it's only fitting that we give ourselves back to God. And He's not only worth it, He is the only person that can give our souls satisfaction. We heard a little bit about the people that went to Haiti and how you know, they had joy that they were able to do something for God. And that's the only joy that can be found in this world, is us yielding to God, living for Him. And He will give us tremendous joy. It won't always be easy, but the joy that He gives will more than compensate for the difficulty that we will have. Uh, and, and like these verses said, you know, it's not that we see Him. The things that we lay hold of, we can't touch, we can't feel, we can't see them. We only by faith see them afar off. 
when Thomas was told by the other disciples that they had seen the Lord, you know, he was, he was doubtful. He said, unless I can put my hands in the nails, the nail holes, and put my, reach my hand into his side, I will not believe. And the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked him in love and said, Thomas, because you see me, you believe. Be not unbelieving, but believing. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. And that's what God wants for you and me. He wants to use you and use me in a mighty way. Somebody's probably told you that God has a plan for your life. He does. His plan for you and me is that we would trust him. The disciples would ask the Lord, what must we do to work the works of God? And Christ would say to them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him who he has sent. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches this clearly, that he wants to use everyone. It's not just the few. It's not just you know, the people that we read about in the Bible. It's each and every one of us. And he, he wants to use you because he loves you. And his way is best for you. And the only way that you will find true joy and satisfaction in your life is to be used by God. Now you might say, well, God can never use me. I don't, I don't really have you know, uh, you know, a great understanding of the word, and I, I don't really have any gifts. And the Bible would tell us that's far from the truth. Our very things that we see as our limitations are our qualifications before God. You know, it's when we are weak that we are strong. And Christ would say it's, he wants to use the foolish and the weak. He uses those things to confound the wise. And so he does want to use you. He just needs anyone that would yield to him. He wants to use us as empty vessels so that he might fill us with his spirit. And we see that in scripture. You know, Moses was somebody that would say, you know, Lord, I, I'm not good at public speaking at all. You know, and Christ would say, or God would say, I'm going to send you before the most powerful man on earth, before Pharaoh, to testify of me. And God wanted to even save Pharaoh, but Pharaoh did not yield. You know, David was the great king, a man after God's own heart, and he was, would have been the last picked by his qualifications. He didn't even appear before Samuel. And Samuel said, is there not another son? And Daniel, or David was in the fields taking care of the sheep. And he you know, wrote much of the Psalms. Uh, Naomi, you know, she was a great woman of faith. Everything had gone wrong in her life. And yet God used her faith to testify uh, to a Gentile woman, Ruth, and use both of them for a mighty way and even in the line of Christ. And it's the same thing. The Hudson Taylors, the George Muellers of the world, they weren't any special men uh, you know, with any special ability. They were just men that reckoned themselves as dead before God and yielded their lives to Christ. And so he can do that with you and me. It doesn't matter you know, how we've spent our lives before. It just matters how we spend our lives going forward. He has given us all talents and he wants us to use those talents, not you know, necessarily gifts, but the talents are the currency that he gives us, our time, to use his, our time for him. God would say that we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. We are all God's project. And he is the potter and we are the clay. 
And a potter, through the pressure of his hand, will mold the clay into a beautiful vessel for the Lord. And that's what he wishes to do with you and me. He wishes us to be vessels of honor for him. And I'm not a potter, but I took a soils class, and I understand that you know clay is moldable based on its moisture content and its particle size. And so sometimes clay can be made to be made into you know, beautiful pots and vessels, and yet if it's unyieldable, it can only be made to be made into vessels of dishonor, very crude vessels. And that's what the Lord says. You know, he's going to use all people for his glory, whether or not they yield to him or not. But if we will yield to, them, to him, he can use us in a beautiful, beautiful way. And the Bible says that about us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. You don't have to turn there. It says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God will be of God and not ourselves. And so ultimately, it's, it's for him. It's his power. It's his glory. But he wants us to yield to the Holy Spirit. He wants us to, by faith, grasp those things that are beyond this life. And I'm just so thankful that the Lord is always faithful. You know, if I look back at my own life, at, you know, the, the mistakes I've made, at all the times where I didn't in faith respond to him, he's always faithful. He always loves. He's always patient with us. His yoke is easy and his burden is, is light. He's humble in heart and he wishes to, to teach us, you know, through his patience, through his love, through his humility, how to emulate him. He wishes to even invade our very personalities to, to make us more like his son, to conform us to his image. And he will do that if we would just learn of him, if we would be willing to take him at his word, because that's what faith is. It is responding to the word of God and believing it. Um, I was wanting to share a little bit of my testimony uh, I don't really think I have time. If, I, if I'm allowed to preach again, I would be happy to, to share it. But we have tremendous uh, position in Christ. And, and that is one of the things I wanted to talk about. Not only does he save us, not only do we have peace with God. Whenever I first got saved, that was enough for me. Like, just having peace with God. Because I had such... Uh, insecurity and terror in my heart because I wasn't redeemed. I wasn't saved. I didn't know God. And when I got saved, instantly I had the peace of God that he paid for my judgment. And I didn't have to fear him as an enemy, but as a God who loved me. But not only do we have peace with him, the Bible says that, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even those who believe on his name. And not our, we only just have peace, but he's made us his children. And if children, we are heirs with God, which means we have an inheritance. Like First Peter said, is undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. He's not only forgiven us, he's not only called us his children, but he's made us heirs. And one day we will even rule with Christ. It's just amazing what us as creatures, how the God of the universe would die for sinners, and not only die for sinners, but wish to elevate us to such glory. And the Bible tells us we'll even one day 
judge angels. And that he's going to prepare a place for us. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. The Bible says it correctly that eye has not seen nor ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. There's a, one of my favorite hymns. I love hymns. Is a mind at perfect peace with God. Oh, what a word is this. A sinner reconciled through blood. This, this indeed is peace. By nature and by practice far. How very far from God. Yet now by grace brought nigh to him. Through faith in Jesus' blood. So nigh, so very nigh to God. I cannot nearer be. For in the person of his Son, I am as near as he. So dear, so very dear to God, more dear I cannot be. The love wherewith he loves the Son, such is his love to me. Just amazing, amazing thoughts in that hymn. That the same love with which he loved his own Son, the person in whom all his delight was, he loves us the same. And when it says that eye has not seen or ear has heard that which he has for us, it's not only talking about how there's too wonderful us for us to comprehend in our finite mind now, but also that these things can only be truly valued and appraised by faith. They can only be captured in our hearts by faith. And what does that mean? Well, let's turn briefly to the chapter of faith, Hebrews 11. We know that at conversion, we have a new relationship with God. And Hebrews would say that the righteous are to live by faith. It's not just a one-time thing at justification. We're justified by faith. But it's supposed to be a new lifestyle. It's a new walk with God. And in Hebrews 1, in verse 1, or sorry, Hebrews 11 and verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And so faith is divine, defined as the assurance or the security or the guarantee in our minds of things that are hoped for. Again, it's looking towards the future and the conviction of things not seen. Again, it's something that we can't see with our own senses. It has to be understood by faith. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. That is not by our eyes and our senses. You often hear the term blind faith. And it's not that faith is blind, but it's really the more true way of seeing. It's a way of seeing things the way that God sees them. It's with an eternal mindset through the Holy Spirit. And throughout this chapter, there's incredible examples of faith. You know, it says, Sarah believed God because him, she believed him who had promised was faithful. And that's all that faith is. It's, it's believing that God who has promised these things, who has given us his word, is able to keep them. 
Faith does not consider the severity of the prognosis or the possible outcomes as grounds for trusting God or not trusting God. In the storms of life, faith always trusts God. It's, re- it's immovable from what it considers the fundamental truth to obey God, whatever the cost. For the cost, compare- for the cost pales in comparison to the weight of glory that will be revealed in us. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said in the face of the fiery furnace, they were not concerned whether or not God would save them. And they said, God will save us or he won't. It's all the same to us. We are Christ. We are his. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And so faith does a future value analysis of living for self versus living for God. We know that Moses, it said in this chapter, that Moses despised the treasures and pleasures of Egypt, looking to the heavenly reward. He had everything available to him, but he considered the reproach of Christ far better than anything that the world had to offer him. And all of these died in faith without, at the time of their death, having received the reward. I don't think there's anything better that could be put on a tombstone than died in faith. I want to be remembered as someone that is looking toward the reward, the heavenly reward. And faith only considers the eternal reward. And it considers it as if it's already been obtained by us, as if we've already laid hold of it. Do you ever, well, some of you may not have kids or young kids, but sometimes I'll tell Selah, if you clean up this room, I'll give you a reward. And she gets so excited because she thinks whatever the reward is, it's going to be better than what it usually is. It's just like a piece of candy or something. And that's, that's what we should do with God, though. Whatever it is that by faith we lay hold of, what it actually will be is far greater than we can understand now. And it will be like the Queen of Sheba said whenever she saw Solomon, all the splendor of Solomon, the half had not been told. And that is what we do by, by faith. We lay a hold of the eternal, that which we cannot see, but... We know that God is good. Him that did not withhold his own son, how will he not freely with him give us all things? And so faith views the lifetime that we have now, however long it is, as God views it. It's just a breath. In the span of eternity, it's just a a tiny, tiny amount of time. Like Jacob working for Rachel seven years It said it seemed to him but a day. That is what faith is able to do. It's able to transcend our flesh. And we know that without faith it is impossible to please God. I would also suggest that the Bible teaches that without faith it is impossible for God to please you. It's impossible for God to, to satisfy you without faith for he's intended that we live in faith. Not that we always do. You know, that we... We fail again and again. I know that too well. But each day, he's there ready for us to trust him again, to use us. He desires to use us. The battle with the flesh never ceases until we go to glory. Christ would say that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and how true that is. 
It was for freedom that Christ set us free. He set us free from the, the bondage of sin and death. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And the relationship that we have for him is meant to be an ongoing reckoning of our bodies as dead. There's nothing in this body that has any promise anymore. And so we must lay ourselves on the altar daily. How do we do that? Well, it's in the next chapter. I mean, we've just been given all these amazing prototypes of faith. These early men and women of faith that took God at his word, that laid a hold of the heavenly city, looking for the heavenly reward. Hebrews 12 would say, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so that is the secret, right? We fix our eyes upon Christ who demonstrated amazing faith. He knew he was going to suffer many things at the hand of sinners. He knew he had to take on the sins of the entire world. And those things were heavy on the heart of Christ. And yet, he looked toward the reward. He looked toward bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And we must fix our eyes on him. He is the inspiration for faith. He is the author of faith. He is the energy source that allows us to have faith. He's the blueprint for faith. And without him, we cannot have faith. And so we must learn of him. How do we do that? Well, there's two things. Not only do we look to Christ, but we must also lay aside the encumbrances and the sin. And encumbrances are not necessarily sin. It's things that weigh our life down, that keep us from running the race that he intends us to run for him. You know, we may not be the most prestigious in our field or the most liked on social media or the best golfer or, you know, not even necessarily the best parent as sometimes because our relationship with Christ must come first. And so we must simplify our our lives. Sometimes it, it means we have to cut things out of our lives so that we can serve him. And sometimes, before we do that, the Lord won't even convict us of some of the sin that's in our life. We have only so much time. We have only so many talents that he gives us. And it's going to be a shame, you know, when we look back and we are able to see with, you know, the perfect 2020 vision of all the opportunity that we had to live for him and we squandered it. I know it's going to be hard for me to see. I see it on a daily basis sometimes. I see missed opportunities that I could have lived for him. I could have witnessed for him. I could have shared my faith. And yet, it's a journey. It's an ongoing thing. The Lord is patient with us. You know, He's not disappointed in us. He loves us. And He wishes to use us for Him. He wishes to expand our faith through the trials of life. 
Are you satisfied with Christ? Another of my favorite hymns is a verse is, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. He is not only able to save us, He's not only blessed us with heavenly blessings, but He's able to change our very appetites, as the verse says, or as the, the hymn says, that the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. It's, it's one of the most wonderful things about having the Holy Spirit, is that the things that held us captive and in bondage, and even the things that were not sin but used to fascinate us, He's able to change our desire. He's able to change what satisfies us. You know, the Israelites, after they left Egypt, they craved the leeks and the garlic and the onions, the things that had a very strong smell and very strong taste. And yet God had given them the manna, had given them the nutrients and what they needed, everything that they needed was in that manna. It was what he designed. It was perfect for them. And yet they craved the things of Egypt. And that's meant to be a lesson to us. You know, what do we crave? Does he satisfy our hearts or do we crave the things of this world? You know, everything that he did, he satisfied the Father. The Father would say, all my delight is in him. Listen to him. He did everything to please the Father. He never sought his own will. It was always the will of the Father. And so, again, it's going to be so hard for us to look back and, and the one who always will please the Father, didn't he not always please us? Did he not always satisfy us in this life? He's able to, but we must lay aside the things that, that blind us to the light, that blind us from seeing the true value of Christ. It's infinite. He will be the great theme of all eternity when we will actually be able to see and appreciate him for what he is and how much he loved us. These verses and these thoughts are, again, meant to just inspire us. I mean, I know myself, I, I fall so short, but the Bible teaches it. You know, he wants us to know the peace and the joy that can be had through yielding to him. And... Again and again, you know, through the trials of life, he proves himself faithful. You know, we see the working of God in our lives. Uh, it, it may be something that seems like a coincidence at first. You know, we, we see him working in our lives and we, we first wonder. And then it starts to build up excitement as we, we think like, no, it couldn't be, right? That, is that the Lord? And then finally, it's unmistakable. You know, like the, like the disciples when they cast their net on the other side of the boat and they caught all the fish and Peter said, it must be the Lord. And that's what happens in the life of the believer. He's able to transform us. He's able to take the trials that he allows in our lives and to build up endurance in those trials so that we see him in everything. David would, would say the same thing through his psalms. He would say that even when he led him through the valley of the shadow of death, he would fear no evil. He would say that his rod and his staff would comfort him. A rod in the Bible often speaks of discipline. And God loves those whom he loves, he disciplines. That's why he disciplines us. It's, it's hard for us to understand at first, but it's because he wants the best for us. He wants us to trust him, and he uses 
discipline. He knows how much we are able to handle. He knows how much we are able to take. And he lovingly disciplines us because he is the best for us. And he wants the best for us. And the staff would be used often to rescue the sheep and to guide them. And that's what he does with us. He guides us. He disciplines us. He rescues us. And, you know, whenever, like Peter, we take our eyes off the Savior and we start to sink and we start to fear. And the Lord, you know, lovingly rebukes us and says, you know, why did you doubt? And yet he's there in an instant. He grabs onto our hand in an instant and he's there. He doesn't forsake us. He just wishes to teach us. And he's a jealous, jealous God for us. He loves us jealously. Whenever Christ entered the temple, he overturned all the tables of the money changers. For it had been written about him, zeal for my house will consume me. And it was an Old Testament prophecy of the Lord Jesus. He was zealous for his house. And he's zealous for, for his house now, for, for our hearts you know, he's made our, the body, our bodies a temple for the Holy Spirit, and he's, he's zealous for that body. He, he's not a tyrant. He doesn't demand that you trust him. He doesn't demand that you love him, but he jealously loves you, and he wishes the best for you, and he wishes that we drive out all the things that are in our hearts that, that take us captive and make our hearts a, a place of business business for, for pleasure, for self, for the world, whatever it might be. Jeremiah 2, verse 13 would say, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew them out cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. We contrast that verse to John 4.14, which would say, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. That is the new type of life that he wants to give you and me. Water where we will never thirst again. It will always satisfy us. It will always be ready. It will always be on tap for us. He's always there. And yet sometimes we do it. Sometimes we return to the old way of life. We we hew out cisterns that can hold no water, that can't satisfy. Only Christ can satisfy your heart. And there's many things that try and imitate and try and, you know, they give us a shot of endorphins, a shot of pleasure. But all around us, you can see that the world has no hope. They have no joy. They're desperately looking for peace, for hope, for joy. They don't have any of those things. And so they brand all these things that can try and fill the gap and yet, it just leads them down to a road of bitterness, of empty cisterns. And we as Christians are to live a life of faith. We are to live as the salt and the light. You know, what is good for light if it's covered up? What is good for salt if it's not salty? It's to be thrown out. We are to live in such a way that we bring glory to God, that we are so different, that we shine a light. Not that we are salt and light, but that he in us is the salt and the light and that we are able to point to him. Uh, I'm out of time. I'll just close us in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for blessing us with your precious word, giving it to us. 
letting us know into the, the mind and the, the heart of God. Lord, sometimes we fall so short of what we see in your scripture, and yet they excite our hearts. The, even to see the men and women of faith, they inspire us, Lord. We desire to be like them. We desire to, to love you like they loved you, to look beyond today or tomorrow and grab a hold of things that are reserved in heaven for us. For you wish to bless us far beyond what we can imagine, Lord. And it's only by faith we are able to see those things. We just pray that you would give us encouragement. Help us encourage one another. Help us to boldly proclaim Christ to a dying world that desperately needs you, Lord. We just pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.